Cool. All right, why don't you grab your Bibles. We're going to get into our Bible study for tonight. We are doing a short little series before camp called Final Thoughts, uh, which, is, which is a weird series title. It's only because they are literally my final thoughts as your youth pastor, um, because all of you should know this by now, unless you're a first-time guest, but Brooke and I are going to be hitting the missions trail uh, after camp. Um, I'll be speaking at camp, and then after that, uh, the lovely Josh Irvin will be taking over as the youth pastor at FBC, so that's a cool thing. And Brooke and I will be fundraising, traveling the countryside, looking for money. And then once we have enough of that, we will move to Hungary hopefully next summer. So that's what we're doing. And so I just wanted to take the last series to go over some final thoughts. Three, basically, we have three weeks before camp for me to leave you with what I think are the three most important things that I could leave you with. And last week we saw the first one, which was love God's word. If you weren't here, uh, Tough Cookies, you'll have to get online and listen to that. You can if you want to. It's on the uh, firstbaptist.church website um, or the Ignite Student Ministry Podcast. Did you know we have a podcast? Well, yeah, we have a podcast. You can, I mean, it's, the podcast is literally just these messages. So it's, it's nothing, yeah, it's nothing more than just these recorded messages. Uh, but tonight, so last week, like I said, was love God's word. That's incredibly important. I think it's the most important thing um, out of everything I could leave you guys with is to love God's word because most people, sadly, including Christians today, don't, um, don't actually love God's word. And you can look at that message if you weren't here to see why. Tonight, I want to do something uh, very simple, kind of like last night. And, and that is this idea. It's to take the Great Commission seriously. Uh, take the Great Commission seriously. What does that mean? Well, it's funny because I, uh, um, I, I worked at this church before I was on staff, on the pastor, pastoral staff as a maintenance man. And uh, if you go up in the attic, has anyone ever been in the attic of the church? Yeah. Oh, not if you, it's like a time capsule up there, man. You go up there and it's like, there, there's a brick wall that used to be the back wall of the auditorium. And, and you can tell there's some like glue marks where they used to have big old letters up there. And it said, take the great, com- we take the great commission seriously, dot, dot, dot. And that, that was like emblazoned on the back wall of our church. And it was like kind of the mantra or the, uh, the, the motto of our church back in like the 70s and 80s, I guess. And I think it's, I think it's a really good mantra is to take the Great Commission seriously. And, and the reason why is because that is what Jesus left his disciples and by extension us to do when he left. If, if Jesus wouldn't have left us with the Great Commission, and I'll explain what that is in a second if you're unaware. If he wouldn't have left us with the Great Commission, he would have left us here with no purpose. He should have just taken us to heaven. Or, or now, like when you get saved, you should just get raptured and go to heaven now. But, but he didn't do that. He left us with a purpose, with a responsibility. And it's called the Great Commission. It's in several places in your Bible, specifically at the end of each of the Gospels in Acts 1-8 and a few other places. We're just going to look at two tonight. Uh, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 seem to be uh, the most popularly memorized anyway. So let's look at uh, that one, and then we'll look at Mark 16 as well. Matthew 28. Starting in verse 19, Jesus tells his disciples the last verses of the Gospel of Matthew. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so Jesus says, go ye, and he's talking to his disciples. And you could insert us today, and he say, go ye, all of you therefore, and teach. What's that? The Gospel. To whom? To all nations, right? Mark 16, 15 says it more succinctly. I really like this verse. It says, And he said unto them simply, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel 
to every creature. That's, that's, what the, that's what the Great Commission is. And so I gave you on your, on your study sheet there the two key components to the Great Commission is to go and tell. Two actions, go and tell. Well, what are we to tell them? Well, the gospel, the good news. Gospel means good news. We're supposed to go to people. It doesn't matter what your geographical location is. It doesn't matter what your address is. You are to go to people and you are to tell them something. The message of the gospel Romans 10 tells us that as well in verse 14. It says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Basically what he's saying, because if you remember Romans 10, 9, and 10 is how to get saved, right? Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, verse 13. And then in verse 14, right after he says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He says, But how shall they call on him in in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? He says, Listen, the greatest news in the world is that all of mankind is utterly lost because of our sin, but God intervened, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the greatest news in the history of the world, but who's going to believe that if they never hear it? And how are they going to hear it if someone doesn't preach it to them? That's the idea. Because in verse 17, at the end of, or, you know, further down in Romans 10, it says, so then faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. And that's why I started last week with, with what I think is the most important thing for you to know is that we need to love God's word. You, no man can get saved apart from the word of God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And so, if we're going to go to people, we need to tell them a specific message. We need to preach to them the gospel. We need to preach to them the word of God. We need to preach to them, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is the Great Commission. It's going to people, telling them the good news. And a lot of times you got to start off with the bad news so they understand why they need the good news, right? The bad news is that you're a sinner, and your sin separates you from a holy God. And that sucks. But you know what? The good news is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, that's great. How do I get that? Well, then you take him over to Romans 10. That's the Great Commission, is telling everybody. Notice to whom the Great Commission is commissioned. It's commissioned to his disciples to tell all nations, Matthew 28, 19 says. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Mark 16, 15, preach the gospel to, I love this, every creature. I love that. Should I preach it to my cat? I don't know, man. Go for it. Preach it to every creature. Without exception, everyone is to be a recipient of hearing the gospel. Regardless of where we live, our job as Christians is to go and tell people the gospel. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you do for a living. That is your job as a Christian. The Great Commission is why we Christians have been left on this earth. And my point to you tonight is, man, we need to take it seriously. We need to take that responsibility from the Lord seriously. After all, it's not called the great suggestion, right? It's the great commission. God has given us a mission, a co-mission, by the way. Who plays co-op missions on video games? Ever play a co-op mission? That's be- why is it called that? Why, why is it a co-mission? There's more than one person, right? There's someone else in it. 
Guess who your partner is in the, in the co-mission, the great co-mission? It's God. Jesus says, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. And you know what? If you start by sharing your faith here in little old New Philly, or wherever you go off to college, or wherever you get a job, maybe someday God will have you change your address for the gospel like he's having Brooke and I do. I don't know. But it doesn't matter where you live. Our job is the Great Commission. It's to go and to tell people the gospel. And so tonight, rather than spending the entire night defining the Great Commission, which we could do, there's a lot of intricacies and semantics to the Great Commission. But very simply, it's that we are to go and to tell people the gospel. So rather than just spending the night defining it, I'd rather be practical and talk about why and how we should take it seriously. Why we should take it seriously and, and how to actually do that. And so our first two points tonight we're going to fly through them pretty quick, and you're going to be like, oh man, we're going to get out of here early. No, you're not. The first two points are quick. The third one will be most of our time, so don't get too excited. But the first point, and, and we're going to start off with the why. Why should I take the Great Commission seriously? It should be self-evident if you're a Christian, but let's just get um, into the details here. Number one, love God. Love God. Many of you probably know the, you know, there's the Great Commission that I just talked about. There's also the Great Commandment, right? And we'll see that in a second, but essentially Jesus says the greatest commandment in the law is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like to it, love your neighbor as yourself. So the Great Commandment is to love God and love people, right? And so there you go. I guess you can fill in your second blank. It's love people for number two. Love God, love people. And the reason those are blanks here is because it's going to prove to us why we should take the Great Commission seriously. Now, it should be pretty obvious that Christians should love God, right? That should be pretty obvious. I'm not going to belabor that point. One of the ways that we prove our love to God is by simply obeying what he has told us to do. Has anybody ever, I don't even, I don't even know how to pose this question, but do you guys understand that when you obey what your parents ask you to do, it makes them happy? I mean, maybe as like a teenager, that like will blow your mind. But when you obey what your parents ask you to do, it actually makes them happy, and it reassures them that you actually do love them. <laughs> that's, a, that's a thing. Um, I have a one-year-old, and sometimes I'm like, I can't wait until you speak English and you can catch my wrath. But anyway, when you obey what your parents tell you, tell you to do, it— it, it reassures them that you love them. Well, we know that that's one way God knows that we love him because in John chapter 14, Jesus says, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. That's pretty obvious. Oh, Jesus, I love you. Well, that's funny. You never do anything I say. How can I know that you love me? All you, all you ever do is give me lip service, but you never back that up with action, right? Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Right? That's what the book of James tells us. And so Jesus says, listen, if you actually love me, do what I say. Keep my commandments. And so if we love God, we do what he tells us to do. That's pretty simple. So if we're following this logically, to love God is to obey what he's told us to do on this end. God has told us to do the Great Commission. All right, can you line that equation up in your head? Loving God is obeying what he's told me to do. God told me... To do the Great Commission. What does that mean? That means that we should do the Great Commission if we love God. See that? See how that works? I don't know. I think that's called the transitive property. Maybe not. I might be wrong. But the idea is this. We should take the Great Commission seriously because we love God. If you don't love God, well, that's another issue that we can take care of. But if you say you love God, man, 
Obeying the Great Commission should be something that comes naturally or something that you at least desire to do. It should at least come with desire that you want to do what God has told you to do because you love him and he told you to do the Great Commission and so we want to obey it to prove our love for God, right? Not to mention loving God, like I said, is part of the Great Commandment. Let's go there quick. Matthew 22, verse 37. You know, there's this, this uh, lawyer comes up to Jesus and the Pharisees are always trying to trip Jesus up because they don't like him. And so he asks them this trick question. He says, which is the greatest law of all? And in the Old Testament, there's some 200... 30, 240 laws in the Old Testament. He says, Jesus, which one's the greatest? Thinking he's going to trip Jesus up. This is Jesus' response. He said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And so, needless to say, we ought to love God. Loving God is something we should be striving for as Christians. And if we love him, we ought to do what he says, right? He's told us to go and tell the world about the gospel, so that's what we should do. But the second part of the great commandment goes into our second point, to love people. Because in verse 39, it says that Jesus continues, and he goes, The second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So, trick question gets a trick answer, right? What's the greatest commandment? Well, it's actually a two-parter. Love God and love people. They're equal. On that commandment, on those two commandments, hang all the law and the prophets. We're to love people as much as you love you, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And last time I checked, I love me a lot. So loving our neighbor as much as we love ourselves, that's a tall order. Love people. Jesus says in that great commandment that, that we are to love God and we are to love people as much as we love ourselves. And if we're going to love people, there are many things that we could speculate that we should do, right? We could say that we should uh, meet their physical needs. We should go drill wells in Africa. We should, uh, we should give them money. We should be kind. We should help them. We should whatever, fill in the blank. There's a lot of nice things you could do to love people, right? And all of those are good, and I bet you most of them are even biblical, but if you do all of those things and you never share the gospel, what good have you actually done? If you join some cool parachurch ministry where you go around to Africa and dig wells, that sounds awesome. That's great. You are being a kind person. But if the gospel never gets preached once, what have you actually accomplished for those people? All you've done is simply sent them to hell with a full stomach, some clothes on their back, and a friendly smile. Those are good things. But if they don't have the gospel, you're not doing anything for their eternal soul. To truly love people, you need to meet their physical needs and their spiritual needs. Meeting people's physical needs shows them that you care. So don't mishear me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't love people. Of course we should. But when you show them you care and you meet their physical needs, now it's time to help meet their spiritual needs. And their spiritual needs is they need a savior. Amen? They need Jesus. They need the gospel. That's the Great Commission. We, we meet their spiritual needs by preaching the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us this ministry that God has given to us called the ministry of reconciliation. Does anyone know what the word reconcile means? Huh? Um, essentially, but like it, in just in a dictionary context. What, what does it mean to reconcile? Anybody? It means to take two parties that are at odds and bring them back together. To reconcile something. You could reconcile your checkbook if it's at odds. Um, but basically, that's not a funny joke because nobody uses a checkbook. <laughs> but um, I don't either. I use an app. 
but the idea is this. You have two parties that are at odds, and you're going to reconcile them. You're going to bring them back together. Check it out. Here's what Jesus says through the Apostle Paul. If any man be in Christ, guess what? He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What a great promise. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. Right? That's the idea. When we were sinners, when we weren't saved, we were separated from God by our sins. We were at odds with God. But what did Jesus do? When we got saved through the gospel, he reconciled us back to God. And the reason he didn't just rapture us back up into heaven to be with him is because the next part of the verse. Who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, verse 18, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. God reconciled you back to him through what Jesus Christ did on the cross and you believing the gospel. And then he turned around and said, okay, now you go tell others. He's given you the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of bringing the lost world back to God. To wit, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, this is what Paul says, we have a specific vocation, right? We're ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? Somebody. A representative, absolutely. You got foreign ambassadors to different countries. When they go to those countries, they're a representative on behalf of the United States. So we are ambassadors for Christ. That means we represent Jesus Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So Christ has reconciled you to himself. If you're saved, if you're not saved, you've not been reconciled. But if you are saved, he reconciled you and then left you with this ministry of reconciliation. That's the Great Commission. It's our job. It's our ministry. It's our vocation. You might say, well, I mean, when I graduate, I want to be this. I want to join the army. I want to go to college to be a, 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 an engineer. I want to go to college to be a nurse. Great. That's not your vocation, Christian. Your vocation is an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You just happen to be a nurse. You just happen to be in the army. You just happen to be an engineer. You just happen to be a mechanic. Your true vocation as a Christian is an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And that is why we need to take the Great Commission seriously. Because how else can you prove that you love God, obeying what he's told you to do, and how else can you actually love people? Well, man, you can show them how to meet their spiritual needs. The best way that you can love people, by the way, is not to always agree with them, even though that's what the world wants you to think. The best way to love people is not to agree with everything they say, even if it's wrong. The best way to love people is to share the gospel with them. That's the best way to love people. Now, it doesn't mean you force them to get saved. It means you give them the gospel and you leave the ball in their court. And they get to decide. But you did your job. Your job is to share. It's to go and to tell. That's what he told you to do. Okay, so let's get practical with number three. How do we take the Great Commission seriously on a daily basis? How do I do that? You're right, Kale. I need to do that. How? Okay, well, number three, it's all about living intentionally. That's what it's all about. And we'll, we'll define that. We got ABC here. It's all, but it's all about living intentionally. You want to live the Great Commission on a daily basis, you have to intend to do so. You have to intentionally do it. Listen, has anyone in here uh, ever thought, man, I would really like to be big and strong and buff? And then you're like, but why isn't it happening? Why isn't it happening? Well, guess what? You have to intentionally do things to end up there, right? You have to go to the gym, which sucks. Yeah, I know. I have a gym membership. 
I make a donation every month. I need to go down and see how they're doing. You need to go to the gym. You need to eat right. <laughs> Wendy's fries and McDonald's milkshakes are wild. Never have a six-pack ever again. But if you're going to do that, and that's your goal, if your goal is to be shredded, you have to do some things intentionally to get there. You know, insert whatever you want. If you want to graduate with honors, well, you have to do some things intentionally to get there. It doesn't just happen, right? It, insert anything in life. Well, if you want to live the Great Commission and take it seriously, it's the same thing. You need to live intentionally. You need to have a daily focus that my life is God's. It's not my own. Whatever I'm doing today, wherever I'm at, I'm also an ambassador for Jesus Christ at this very moment, and I'm seeking to fulfill the Great Commission. Yes, I know you have stuff to do. I know you have school. I know that you have to get gas in your car. When you're older, you'll have to get groceries and pay the mortgage and pay the rent. I get it. But guess what? At the same time every day when you get up, you're also an ambassador for Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian. You don't get days off from being a witness for Christ. So, how do we do that? Letter A. Here's the first one. I'm, I'm going to make this really easy for you and give you guys three things. How do I take the Great Commission seriously? How do I live intentionally? Well, letter A, you've got to prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. And you're doing a great job just by coming on Wednesday nights to Ignite. That's my job. That's going to be Josh's job is to prepare you, teach you the Bible. Come on Sundays, learn the Bible. Prepare yourself to be able to do the Great Commission. Do you know how to share the gospel? Do you know how to effectively share your testimony of how you got saved? Do you know how to use what we like to call Roman's Road? If someone came up to you in the middle of the street, you're walking down the, the sidewalk, and some random person comes up to you and says, Sir, what must I do to be saved? Could you actually show them? That's never going to happen, but say it did. Stranger things have happened. If someone came to you and was like, I need to get saved, do you know how? Could you actually lead them to Christ right there? Could you show and tell them? So let me ask you this question. How can we obey the Great Commission if we aren't actually prepared to share the gospel? That's the idea. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and in fear. Notice what Peter says. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you the reason for the hope that's in you. Listen, when you're a Christian, you should live differently. And when people ask you, hey, why do you live differently? Why do you seem to be happy? You should be ready always to give an answer to that person. And that's King James speak for give the gospel. That's what it means. Colossians chapter 4. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Truth that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Well, how do I speak with grace and truth? And how do I know how to answer every man? You prepare yourself. You study. You come to church. You learn. Let me ask you this. Because you might think, man, I have no idea how to share the gospel. Okay, are, are you, I know this is going to hit you just because this is where we're at in our political climate nowadays. Are you more well-versed in your political arguments than you are in how to share the gospel? Do you listen to Ben Shapiro enough that you could put down somebody who's for abortion or whatever, but you don't even know how to share the gospel? Come on, man. Come on. You should know how to share the gospel. You should study it. I don't care if you watch YouTube videos, whatever. Come ask me. Ask Corey. Ask Josh. Ask the counselors. We'll show you how to share the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Do you guys understand that as Christians we believe that if someone doesn't get saved, they will go to hell for all eternity? 
Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, what? We persuade men. Well, I don't, man, I don't want to talk anyone into getting saved. Listen, man, if I could talk someone into getting saved, I would. What we're persuading them, what the Bible says we ought to persuade them, is to, to, to know the gospel well enough that we can persuade men that they need to get saved. That they have the choice. They have free will decision. But listen, do you know enough about the gospel to be able to persuade people about why they need to get saved? Why they're a sinner? Why they're separated from God and the only way to heaven is Jesus Christ? We ought to know that. I know we're not the ones who actually save them, but we are the ones who share the gospel. So we need to effectively share it with people to show them why they need to get saved. I tell people, whenever I teach an evangelism class, I, I like to tell people that evangelism, which is, you know, just a bible word for sharing the gospel, it, all it is is it's like playing chess. Anyone play chess? Anyone know how to play chess? Okay. So playing chess, nobody over here knows how to play chess? Okay, that's a little surprise. Halsey plays chess. Tara plays chess. Okay. So chess has a lot of pieces. Each of the pieces do different things. And how do you win a game of chess? What's it called? Checkmate. Well, how do you get someone into checkmate? Long time? What does that mean? <laughs> Long time. How do you get someone into checkmate? Someone give me an answer. Well, how do you do that? There's many different ways, right? There's different pieces. It depends, it depends what they move, right? It depends how they respond and you respond to their moves. There's a lot of ways to get someone into checkmate. That's like evangelism. How do you share the gospel with somebody? I don't know. Who are they? What's their background? What was their upbringing? What do they believe about this? What do they say when you say, see, the gospel doesn't change. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again three days later according to the scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. That's the gospel. It doesn't change. But how do you actually lead someone to the Lord? Well, that, there's a lot of different ways to lead someone to the Lord. And so listen, I like chess, but I got about like two different ways to get someone to checkmate. I'm spending the entire game trying to get them to do what I want to get them into the way that I get people in a checkmate. That means I'm not a very good chess player, <laughs> right? So listen, if you only know one way to share the gospel, well, that's a great start. That's good. Get in the game. If you only know how to use Romans Road, which we'll talk about in a second, great. But you can be a more effective chess player if you learn more moves, and if you learn how all the pieces work, and you learn to learn how this player is playing the game and respond to them accordingly, rather than just holding a sign. You ever see these guys who stand out in front of the courthouse with a big old sign that says, You're going to hell! <laughs> Repent! I, listen, man, I think in the 19th century, people got saved that way. But today, people don't respond the greatest to that. You know, you know how you lead someone to the Lord? You get to know them. You ask them questions. You find out their background. What do they actually, oh, you were raised this way. Okay, that means you probably believe in works salvation. Okay, so I'm going to take you to spots in the Bible that show you that it's not works that save you, like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. You start to see how they answer questions. Hey, excuse me, um, you know, I, I'm not saying you have to do this, but I've done this before on the airplane. Why not, you know, I'm on an airplane sitting beside someone I don't know. Let's make conversation. It's embarrassed myself, right? Uh, excuse me. You know, because we're going on an airplane, right? People are scared of flying. If you were to die today, um, <laughs> what do you think would happen? Would you, spend, would you spend eternity in heaven? Oh, I don't believe in heaven. Okay, well, that, guess what? That gives you a clue as to what they believe, and then you can start working. Oh, yeah, I do, actually. I believe I would be, oh, great. Well, how do you know that? Well, you know, I think I'm a good person. 
Okay, well then let's take this path. You see, it's not just about going around and beating people up with the, the Bible. It's about getting on their level, learning who they are, and then responding accordingly. And that takes time, it takes practice, it takes becoming a more effective chess player, if you will. But listen, you have this whole life to get prepared. You have this whole life to prepare yourself to be better at it. So let me just give you a couple tools for your toolbox for sharing the gospel that you should know. Here's the key ones. Listen, the gospel is defined in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Go home, read it. At least remember the first couple of verses of 1 Corinthians 15. Write it in your Bible. Write it on a blank page in the back of your Bible, the gospel, dash, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. That's the gospel defined. You should know that. Now, Romans, well, okay, let's skip to memorize John 3, 16. Memorize John 3, 16, Christian. Come on. Tim Tebow put it on his eye black, and like a billion people Googled it that time that he wore it. In, is, is that too old of a reference? Do you guys know who Tim Tebow is anymore? Okay. Uh, that was a long time ago that he was in college. Um, Listen, memorize John 3, 16. It, it has the love of God wrapped into it, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Memorize that. But Romans Road, if you're not familiar, Romans Road is, is like eight or ten cross-references that when you go to each one, it lays out the gospel and the bad news of man being separated by their sin, what Jesus did for you, and the good news of how you can get saved. And so those references that I listed, Romans 3, and then the arrow just means then go to this one next, to Romans 5, to 6, back to 5, to 10. Those are just references, and you know what you can do? You can go into your Bible. All you have to do is remember the first one, Romans 3.10, because you circle those verses, Romans 3, 10, 11, and 12, and then beside them, you know what you do? You write Romans 3.23, and then you go down to Romans 3.23, you circle that one, and beside it, you write Romans 5.12. That's called chain referencing. All you have to remember is the first one. If you remember the first one, you've got the rest written out, and you can lead someone through Romans Road. Romans 3.10 and Romans 3.23 basically tells you that there's no one good. All of sin and come short of the glory of God, right? And then you go over to Romans 5.12. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's not good. So that's the whole Adam story, right? And then you take them over to Romans 6.23. Oh, well, sin's not good, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then you take them back to Romans 5, 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then you take them over to Romans 10, 9 and 10. Listen, are, are, are you flabbergasted that I could quote those from memory? You shouldn't be, man. Th th those are the verses that you ought to know if you're going to lead someone to the Lord. And you don't have to memorize them all right now. I I've had the last 18 years of my life to do that. But check it out. Write them down in your Bible. That's the least you could do. If you're witnessing to someone, you open your Bible, you know, okay, Romans 3. That's the beginning of Romans Road. And you look in there, you share it, you've got the reference, the next reference written beside it. You can do that. You can prepare yourself to share the gospel by doing something as simple as that. And then also know how to share your testimony. The most effective tool to sharing the gospel, other than the word of God, is your story. Because guess what? Your science teacher, your biology professor, your atheist friend can't dispute the fact that you were like this, and after Jesus entered the picture, now you're different. The one thing the world can't dispute is the story of a changed life. Know how to effectively share your testimony. And so there's three parts to your testimony. What was your life like before Christ? How did you meet Christ? Not just, this is what my life was like before Christ, then I got saved, and now I'm different. No, no, no. How did you meet Christ? Well, someone shared with me the gospel. What's the gospel? They're lost. They don't know what that means. 
So know how to effectively share the gospel. This is what my life was like before I met Christ. And then my youth pastor explained to me that I was separated by God from, you know, because of my sin and la, 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 la. And then once I got saved, once I accepted Christ as my Savior and I prayed according to Romans 10, now my life's completely different. Now I live to serve him. Now I've given up those, those addictions that I had. Now, now I, I've reconciled in my heart against my dad who I hated before, whatever it is. See that? And, and you show the contrast, your life after Christ, your life before Christ, and you use the gospel in the middle of how you met Christ. Those are important tools for your tool bag. All right, we're running out of time. Y'all got to listen faster. Letter B. This is important. So you prepare yourself. And listen, that's going to take time. It's going to take being intentional, right? It's going to take being intentional. But number, or letter B, pray for divine appointments. Pray for, well, what's that? Well, that's a churchy word. I like to, I like, I heard someone else say it and I like it, so I stole it. Divine appointments. That's just an appointment that God has orchestrated for you. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on why we should pray. We're going to actually talk about prayer next week. But James 4, 2 says that you have not because you ask not, right? And then verse 3, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. What that verse basically says is those of you who have good intentions, the reason you don't have what you want is because you don't ask God for it. You don't pray. And then he says those of you who do ask God, the reason you're not getting what you want is because you ask for carnal fleshly things. <laughs> you don't ask for things that are of God's will. And so if we desire the right things, but we don't ask God, well, what's the point of that? Because check this out. If we pray for the right things according to God's will, he wants to give them to you. We'll see more of this next week, but here's a little spoiler. Matthew 21, 22. Jesus says, in all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. Check that out. If you pray in, according to God's will, and you believe that God is powerful enough to do it and that he wants to, He'll give it to you. Do you believe that? Why don't we do that more? <laughs> right? Well, I mean, I don't know, man. I prayed for my lost friend to get saved like three times. He's still not saved. Okay. What if I told you it would take 150 times for your lost friend to get saved? Would you do it? Yeah. Well, get on it. Who knows how many times it would take for you to pray for your lost friend to get saved? Is it worth it to you? We need to pray. Now, considering that we should pray, we should intentionally pray for what I call divine appointments every day. And these are just appointments that God has ordained in your life that you can share the gospel with somebody who's actually, uh, you know, desiring to hear it. Not just some random guy who you say, hey, can I talk to you? And he, like, gives you the middle finger. Like someone who actually desires to hear more about the gospel. And so I want to give you the example of Paul in Acts 16. He, now, he got an actual vision. We don't get visions from God today because we have God's full, complete word. But God speaks to you through his word and the Holy Spirit. But look at Paul and this vision he had. He had a, a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man of this country, Macedonia, and prayed him and said, come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Listen, Paul had a vision from God that we need to go to Macedonia because we should preach the gospel to them. I'm not saying God's going to give you a vision, but God has his word and he has his Holy Spirit and he says, if you pray according to my name and believe it, I want to give it to you. So wh what if we just every day, we prayed that God would give us at least one divine appointment to share a testimony, to share the gospel with somebody, to share God's love with somebody, to be a listening ear, to just, to just talk about eternity with them. If we prayed for those, 
Do you think God would give them to us? What if we prayed for God to put us in the right place at the right time? What, what if we just prayed for God to send hurting people to us so that we can love them, build a relationship with them, and share the gospel with them? What if we prayed that God would give us the awareness to not miss those divine appointments because we're so busy in 2019? What if we prayed that God would give us the words to say and pray that God would give us boldness necessary to speak the gospel because let's face it, sometimes we're intimidated. Sometimes we don't feel like we can do it. So we need to pray for those divine appointments. Man, when I pray for divine appointments, God gives them to me. The problem is that I'm a Laodicean and I forget to and I don't and I'm lazy and I need to. We need to every day because God will answer your prayer. Now letter C, after you've prepared yourself and you've prayed for divine appointments, letter C, we need to actually seek for those opportunities. We need to seek them. We need to be intentional. Like I said, I have not had one person ever come up to me off the street, a stranger, and say, uh, you sir, how do I get saved? I've never, I've never once. Every time I've shared the gospel with somebody or led someone to the Lord, it was because I initiated. I initiated the relationship. I initiated the conversation, what have you. Rarely has it happened, and I know it happens, but if you're going to sit on your butt and wait for people to come to you to hear the gospel, you're going to be sitting a long time. Your butt's going to get sore. You need to get up. What's the Great Commission? Sit and wait? No, it's go and tell. Go and tell. Make a conversation. Start a conversation with somebody. We must not rely on lost people coming to us and asking us the way. The Great Commission is for us to go and show them the way. Then we leave the ball in their court, and they decide if they want in on this eternal life thing, right? Okay, last place I want us to go. Go to John chapter 4 in your Bible if you have it. Anybody remember the old arm bracelets? They'd say WWJD. What would Jesus do? Maybe I'm dating myself here. Back in the day, we used to wear cool little bracelets that said WWJD to remind ourselves, what would Jesus do? Well, let's see what Jesus did. Jesus shared the gospel, you know that? In John chapter 4, we're going to see him being intentional, seeking opportunities to share the gospel. And if you start in verse 3, it says that he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And verse 4 is key. It says he must needs go through Samaria. Now, you've got to understand to go from Judea to Galilee didn't require him to go through Samaria, but he went the long way because he said he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh to a, a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. And by the way, in Jewish clock, that means noon, sixth hour of the day, sixth hour from 6 a.m. And at that time there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. And you can read the rest of the chapter on your own. Jesus is going to have a conversation with her, and he's going to eventually reveal himself to be the Messiah, and basically, quote-unquote, share the gospel with her. So here's what Jesus did. He crossed cultural boundaries. You guys know that the Jews hated Samaritans? They hated this people. Samaritans were actually half-breed Jews. They were Jews who were the, res they were Samaritans, the result of Jews not obeying God and having kids with pagan nations. And so the Jews hated the Samaritans, naturally. I mean, it, it's, it's a racism thing. It absolutely was. They didn't like those people. And so they didn't go over there. There's this, there's this old, like, folklore that if anybody went through Samaria, when they got back to Israel, they would, like, shake the dust off of their feet because they didn't want Samaritan dirt on their feet. I mean, that's how much animosity they had. And so Jesus crossed cultural borders, and he went 
to this person intentionally, not on accident. And then he went to this woman who is an undesired woman and an unloved woman. Because any woman, and I, I'm preaching this very quickly, but any woman who is going to draw water at the well at noon, when the sun is the hottest in the middle of the day in the desert, um, she was doing that because she didn't want other people to see her, and she didn't want to talk to those people. And you find out later, if you, if you read down later on, Jesus comes to tell her that, who's your husband? And she said, well, I don't have a husband. He's like, yeah, you've had five. And the guy you're living with right now ain't your husband. So she was, you know, kind of slept around a little bit. People didn't like her. People talked about her. She was kind of, you know, the town, let it fill in the blank. And so she went and got water at noon. You know what Jesus did? He went to a country that nobody liked. He went out of his way to go there. And he talked to a woman that those people didn't even like. He was intentional. He sought opportunities. He must needs go through Samaria. All of that. And he had to go there. So listen, all I'm, all I'm saying is take a second out of your busy day to slow down. Pray for divine appointments, but slow down. We've got so much to do. We've got checklists and checklists and checklists and things we need to do, places to be. Slow down and look for opportunities. I mean, you go to the gas station. Nobody ever talks to you at the gas station, right? But you go to the gas station one day, and some random guy is like, hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? You keep walking. Like, that was weird. Maybe that was a divine appointment. Nobody ever talks to me at the gas station, but for some reason, that guy, hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm going good. And you strike up a conversation. Who knows where it's going to go? Slow down and look for opportunities. That guy walking down the sidewalk seems like he could use a friend. No, I wouldn't do that. Oh, okay. Jesus did that. The delivery man at my house seems awful chatty, right? I, I, I always, I told my wife that I have a rule. If anyone comes into my house or to my house, they aren't leaving without hearing the gospel. So if you're a JW knocking on my door, guess what? You're getting the gospel. But you know what? If you're delivering a couch into my house, which I've had before, you're getting the gospel. I mean, that's just an opportunity, man, is it not? Listen, if you want to be an evangelist and you're just like, I don't understand why it's not happening, it's because you aren't trying. You got to live intentionally. You got to seek opportunities and pray for divine appointments. How about inconveniences? I don't know if you guys have flown much. I fly a lot. You know, what about flight delays? What about you getting a car wreck? Or, or a flat tire, you run out of gas or something. You're like, oh, this inconvenience. Well, maybe God's got an opportunity. Have you ever thought about those inconveniences as potential opportunities to witness to somebody or to love on somebody or to, hey man, maybe this person just, uh, one time, I, I kid you not, I'm not telling you this to like, you know, make myself feel good. I'm just giving you examples so that you know what I'm talking about. I, I was coming back to church because uh, I work here, you know, so it's like a nine to five gig, Monday through Friday. Um, and then Saturday and Sunday and whatever. Um, and I was coming back from lunch, and there was two dudes laying under a car that was jacked up, like, in the front, in the parking lot. And it was like 100 degrees. It was super hot. The asphalt had to be super hot that they were laying on. So I walk up to them, like, hey, guys, need help? Yeah, timing belt came off. Oh, you know what? I work here. I'm going to go over to the garage. I'll get a couple of wrenches, see if I can help you. Okay. Go get some wrenches. Get, them, get it rigged up enough, you know, to, to where he could, you know, get out of the parking lot. And, and they were super grateful. And I'm like, hey, you know what? I grabbed my wallet. I, I had 10 bucks in there. I gave him 10 bucks. I was like, Want, go down to the marathon and, and grab a Gatorade, man. You guys look hot. Dude looked at me like I was from Mars. Like, thanks, man. Why would you do that? Oh, you know what, man? I'm a Christian. And Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. That dude looked at me like I was blue. I mean, I kid you not. Listen, I didn't even share the whole gospel with him. But you know what? I bet that made a little bit of a difference in that guy's day. Do you pray for divine appointments? Do you seek for opportunities? We've got to live intentionally. 
What if I told you, and, and I don't know this to be true, but what if I told you that God has one divine appointment for you every day, but you just miss it because you're too busy? You ever thought about that? What if God brings hurting people to you every day, divine appointments to where you could share the gospel with one person every day, but we just miss it because we've got our head down in our phone, metaphorically speaking, of course. You know what Jesus' response to the disciples later in that same chapter? Check out at the end of John chapter 4 and verse 35. He gives them a little picture. He says, Say not ye there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, because they're ready now. They're white, all ready to harvest. He says, listen, you got your head down. You're sitting on your butt thinking, I got time, I got time. Jesus says, look up. Fields are white. They're ripe, man. I know, listen, guys, I, I've had people text me and say, man, I get so worked up because on Facebook and Twitter and all this stuff, there's so much political animosity and blah, 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 blah. Listen, social media is not the real world. It's not the real world. You might get on social media and think, nobody cares, man. Nobody cares about God anymore. Listen, some, some people do. There are needy people out there, and if you'll just get off of Facebook and get off of Twitter, get off of Snapchat, how freaking many other ones there are, get off of those for a second and just look up. There's hurting people everywhere. And if we'll just pray for some divine appointments and seek opportunities to meet people where they're at and share the gospel with them, God will give them to you. And you'll be an evangelist and you'll take the Great Commission seriously. So take the Great Commission seriously, guys. It's what we've been left here to do. Live intentionally and actually don't just do the Great Commission, live the Great Commission. So what we're called to do as Christians. Let's pray. God, I come to you tonight and I thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that Hopefully some of the practical things we talked about tonight can help someone. Maybe somebody who's wanted to share the gospel but felt like they uh, weren't prepared, weren't equipped to do it. Lord, I hope that they realize tonight that if they're saved and they know the gospel, they are prepared to share the gospel. They are equipped to be an evangelist. They can become more effective. They can gather more tools as the years go by. They need to prepare themselves, of course, but they need to pray for appointments and they need to seek opportunities on a daily basis because your word promises that if we pray according to your will and believe it, you're going to give it to us. So Father, I pray that we would live more intentionally as Christians and that we would seek to live the Great Commission on a daily basis and to take it seriously. I love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.